Welcome to the Destiny Church 217 podcast, where we share the sermon of the week from Destiny Church. After the message, check out the show notes for links and more information on how to get connected with Destiny. Let's get into the message. All right. I feel like a driver at the beginning of the Indianapolis 500. I really, really like to preach. I really, really like to teach. This is going to be a hybrid series, so uh, it's not topical. It'll be more uh, textual and exegetical. Uh, There may be some terms that I use along the way that are familiar, some that are unfamiliar. That's why you'll probably want to take some notes or get the podcast a little bit later. Um, But we're going to uh, put some jet fuel in and uh, get off to the races. If you're ready, say amen. Amen. All right, here we go. Romans chapter 1, verse number 1. For a while, a little bit of background. Paul wrote this, if you're unaware. He wrote this, obviously, to Romans uh, who live in Rome, uh, hence the title. And uh, this is written from his third missionary journey. You know, the Bible is not written in chronological order, or it's not presented to you in chronological order. So you have... Four Gospels, you have Acts, now you have Romans. Well, Romans is the last, Paul, uh, the last Pauline epistle written. So this is written at the end of his life. He's on his third missionary journey. He's in a town called Corinth, which is right outside of Athens, not Athens, and is about 800 miles away from Rome. He wants to go to Rome. He's in Athens, Greece. He wants to go to Rome, but he's 800 miles away. He's sending this letter in advance of his arrival so that they are well aware of what's going to happen when he gets there, who he is, and they're going to give him, they're going to, he's going to give him basically a rundown of the gospel basics. That's why uh, we have the Roman road that comes out of the book of Romans. That's why we have steps to peace with God that comes out of Romans. It is chock full of yummy goodness, and we're going we're gonna to mine some of that out, and uh, it's going to be a blessing to you. Um, historically speaking, uh, Nero is the Caesar of Rome at the time. This is written at about 57 AD. Nero burned Rome down in 64. So just a few years later, hey, congratulations on your marriage, guys. Why don't you guys stand up? This is Gary's this morning. I got married over the weekend. Congratulations, guys. Bless you all. Praise the Lord. And so he, he burned Rome, and there's many hypotheses as to why he allowed or even started the fire of Rome as a false flag. Nero was no stranger to that. That he started, he started the fire in Rome as a distraction. He needed taxes raised, and uh, it's a familiar story. And, uh, and you know he was not a nice guy, right? He was tossing Christians into the amphitheater to be devoured by lions and gladiators and all that kind of stuff. He, was, he d- didn't appreciate Christianity. Uh, in fact, he would take your child, he would slaughter a sheep, he would wrap the, the, the sheep's skin, bloodied, around your t- child, tie it to your child, and put your child out in the middle of the amphitheater to be devoured by Rome, by Roman lions. This is the kind of guy he was, just for fun, just for funsies. So he didn't like Christians, and this is where Paul wanted to go, was to Rome. He's writing this letter to these Romans um, with some basic uh, gospel tenets. So that's the background to the book of Rome, Romans. Let's get started. Verse number one. I'm going to read the verse. We're going to make commentary on the verse. You'll see the verse up here, uh, and then we'll uh, just kind of create our own little template as we go. All right? So Romans chapter one, verse number one. Paul, a servant 
of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel. He is a servant. The word literally in Greek means he's a slave. He goes, I don't have an option here. Why doesn't he have an option? Not because he's being held against his will. It's because what God did for him was so awesome, I can't help but do what I'm about to do. So Paul, a slave, a servant of Christ. Christ is a Greek word. He's writing to primarily Greek-speaking people. But you're going to see the word Christ and Messiah interchangeable. When you use the word Messiah, you're talking in Hebrew. When you use the word Christ, you're speaking in Greek. But they mean the same thing, like agua and water, like fuego and water. Same thing, different languages. Christ and Messiah, same thing. Same word, interchangeable meaning the same, same thing, anointed one. All right, so he, Paul, this, this slave of the Messiah, Christ Jesus, he's called, he just didn't decide to be an apostle. It's a calling, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers, apest. We know what fivefold is. We have a conference coming up if you don't. He is called to be an apostle, meaning being set apart, being sent and set apart, sanctified, meaning separated away from things of the world and separated to the Lord, and the gospel of God. Now, the gospel, verse number two, the gospel is the word evangel. You ever heard of evangel university? You've heard of evangelicals. You've heard of the evangel. It's a magazine. The word evangel is the Greek word for good news. Evangel, evangelicals, believing in the good news. He promised the gospel, the gospel of God, the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets. Now, you got to understand, Paul is writing before the New Testament is codified. So when he talks about scripture, what's he talking about? He's talking about the Old Testament. He goes, the gospel's in the Old Testament. Wait a second, I thought the gospel was the New Testament. No, the evangel is all the way back to Genesis. In fact, there's a term called the proto, as in proton, first in place and position. Proto, the proto-evangel is in Genesis chapter 3, verse number 15. This is where there's the prophecy that there's going to be enmity between the women, women and her seed. This is why the devil wants to kill babies. And... Her seed ultimately will crush, <laughs> will crush the enemy. This is why we have all the infant, infant side, particularly in the Old Testament, and today as well. So it was prophesied, this evangel, this good news was prophesied long before what we have in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I tried to turn you off, sweetheart. I didn't want you being, <laughs> being with me today. All right. So, verse number three. So that's the, the, uh, the prophets, the, old, the, the Holy Scripture, which is the Old Testament. Verse number three. Regarding his son, who as to his human nature was a descendant of David. Regarding his son, who was of human nature. Who we're talking about? We're talking about God. Well, who had human nature? Jesus had human nature. He was called the son of man. When you read through the gospels and you see the term son of man, generally we're speaking about Jesus with his 100% humanness. 
When you see son of God, you'll see generally the context will be referring to his 100% godlikeness. Matthew 1.17 says, thus there were 14 generations from Abraham to David. We know that. But there are 14 generations from David to exile and another 14 from exile to Christ. So that's just 28 generations in all from the beginning. And through the spirit, verse four, spirit, and through the spirit, a personage of the, of the Trinity, as much God as Jesus, as much God as the Father, is the Holy Spirit, the pneuma, Greek word, or the breath, or the wind of heaven, the dunamis of holiness. The word holiness, again, is separation from and separation to. You're holy, not because of the things that you don't do only. You're separated. You're, it, you can go through life unregenerate in your, in your life and don't do a bunch of things that are nasty. doesn't make you righteous anymore. So you have to be separated from and separated to, separated to the Lord. Like when you get married, you become holy unto your spouse. Holy with an H and holy with a W. Holy in that I am separated from every other woman on the face of the earth and separated unto her. Got it? All right, so moving on. He was son of man, but read this, verse four, was declared with the power, the dunamis, to be also the son of God, his divine nature. How did that, how was that proved? By his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, our Lord. So in verse three, you have 100% man. Verse four, you have 100% God. Well, he just jumps right into it, doesn't he? I mean, this is the letter that he's writing to Rome in preparation of his coming. And he's already addressed so many things, including that Jesus is 100% God and 100% man. The theological term is he's a theanthropos. Theo, anthro, as in anthropology, and as a man. Theo, theos, Theology, God, he's the God-man. He's a theanthropos. He's 100% God, 100% man. Now, why is that such a big deal? He has to be both and in total. Well, you say, that doesn't make sense. 100 and 100 equals 200. Well, welcome to faith. Welcome to the life of faith. Welcome to I don't understand. And being comfortable in the realization that you will never understand everything. Why? We're called believers, not understanders. So there are things here in the word and in the book of Romans that on the surface, one plus one should equal two. But here he's saying one plus one equals one or one plus one equals one. Or in a marriage, how about this? One plus one equals one. God doesn't do math like we do math. He has 32,000 Gideon Israelites ready to take on with Gideon and dwindles it all the way down to hundreds to take on a quarter of a million people. God doesn't do math like we do math. So 100% God, 100% man, theanthropos, this is who Paul is introducing to Rome where there are gods galore. In fact, Nero says he's the God of all gods. And that's where he's writing this subversive letter. Do you think that's going to get him a bit of trouble? If and when he ever gets to Rome, hint, hint, he gets there. Hint, hint, Nero cuts his head off. I kind of said, spoiler alert, uh, if you didn't know that already. <laughs> We're going to get there. 
But spoiler alert, he crucified Peter upside down on a cross and decapitated Paul. That's Nero. And that's where Paul wants to go. And he's not candy coating the gospel. You like that? I do. I don't want some mamby-pamby, I wish you... No, tell me like it is, tell me what I need to know. 100% God, 100% man, Theanthropos. Born of a man, but 100% God. He has to be fully human so that he could know us. Tested and tried in every way, just like us. Every emotion you've ever had, he's had. If he didn't have that, he could never really know you. And if he was not 100% God, he could never really save you. So he has to be both. Philippians 2 says it best. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna just take a little hiatus and, 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 and navigate down into Philippians 2 here for a second. Verse 5. Your attitude should be the same as Jesus Christ, who being in the very nature of God. What? Jesus, the very nature of God, but did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of us, a servant, being made in human likeness. This is an explanation of the Theanthropos. And being found in the appearance of man. I mean, can you imagine? Can you imagine? On that day, whatever the council of the Trinity looked like in heaven, there they stand. Jesus says, okay, I'm ready to go. They said, okay, go ahead, Jesus. Go on down to earth. Where am I going? I'm going into a virgin. I'm going to be in that woman, Mary, and I'm going to come out as a child. That he, that he clothed, Jesus clothed himself with humanity. He put on human skin. So he could be tested and tried and feel what you felt. And being found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself, became obedient even unto death, death on the cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place. Isn't it wonderful that when you become obedient, he exalts you, that the servant is the greatest. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place, gave him the name above every name, that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth, and every tongue confess what? That Jesus... The Messiah, Yeshua HaMashiach in Hebrew, Jesus, the Messiah, is who? Lord. The Lord. Jesus, his name, Christ, his title, is God. The Lord, the God, and uh, to the glory of God the Father. So let's go back to Romans. Romans chapter uh, 1, verse 5. Through him, who him? Christ, through Jesus, through him and for his name's sake, we received grace, unmerited favor. It's the activating power of the gospel to save you and empower you to do good works. We are not saved by our good works. We are saved to do good works. Hear it again. Your good works are like filthy rags. In the Greek it's understood that those are mint. They're like a tampon. Pardon me. That's what it means when the phrase t filthy rag is used in scripture. A feminine hygiene product for their time of the month. All your righteousness, filthy rags. This is why it's important to know the original language sometimes. Not just, oh, that's just a dirty oily rag that I have in the garage. No, no, it's, not, it's just to be thrown away. It's not good for anything. What is that? All of your righteousness, just filthy rags. So your righteousness don't, doesn't save you. We have righteous acts because of his grace. We then do the right thing because how could we not? We're compelled because of his greatness 
and what he did for us in canceling our sin. You know what this is? This is the gospel, ladies and gentlemen. It's the good news. It's what the whole Bible is about. Repent and be saved. Do the good works. How do you get saved? Come forward and say a prayer. That's not what the Bible says. It says repent and do the good works. Trust in the grace of heaven. Okay, we got to go on. I'll never get done with this. Verse number five, through him, Christ, namesake, we received that unmerited activating power for salvation and good works and apostleship to call people from among the Gentiles, those Gentiles, and the obedient that comes and the obedience that comes from faith. So note, note the order. First, there's grace in the scripture. First, in this equation, there is grace that led to his apostleship. That's not something you put on yourself. And then the faith that leads to good works. Verse number six. And you also among those who are called to belong to Yahshua, the Messiah, Jesus the Christ, to all in, he's this is still the introduction of his letter. This is still, he just say, hi guys. This is the beginning. I'm writing to all of you, verse seven, all of you in Rome. That's why this book is called Romans who are loved, and we're not talking about phileo or eros love. There's different types of love in the Greek language. Eros, erotic love. Uh, phileo, as in Philadelphia, brotherly kind of love. And now agape, which is the God kind of love, the perfect love to all in Rome who are agape by God, by theos is the Greek word, and are called to be hagios, called to be saints, now, if you love God, you're serving the Lord, you're, you've given your life to Jesus, you are a saint. In Catholicism, that's not exactly how it works. So I looked it up just to make sure. Step number one to becoming a saint in Catholicism is dead for five years. You don't even stand a chance of being a saint until you're dead for at least five years. That's the rules. And then there's all, I think there's five increasing steps of what has, all your, everything you've ever written has to be accumulated and sifted through. There has to be documentation of miracles and, and all kinds of stuff. So uh, my wife and I, a number of years ago, we went to Rome and we were in the Vatican. When you step over the line into the smallest country on earth, uh, we, we stepped into the Vatican and then we went inside past the, the Swiss guards uh, who are those who guard the Vatican proper. And, you know, all that is the Sistine Chapel and that and marble statues that David or that, uh, uh, oh, who, who sculpted them? Um, Michelangelo, thank you, Joey. Um, out of marble, uh, David, so it's just beautiful. And the guide and Saint so-and-so and Saint so-and-so. I said, well, I'm a saint. If he had dentures, he probably would have dropped them out right there on the floor. <laughs> Here's this Catholic who's got this, who's got this Protestant preacher saying he's a saint. And so we had just a moment over all of that. Um, but I think I have better, I, I, I have better, I have better uh, uh, legs to stand on than just uh, church tradition. It says right here that we're saints. We're called to be saints. Hagios. A few places where believers are called saints. I think I have a list. I didn't read them all to the guide, but that's where we could have started. 
You're a saint. 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 Does that mean you're perfect? No. It means you're holy. You're becoming more holy. And ultimately, one day when you stand in his presence, you will be holy. You are saved. You're working out your salvation. And then one day when you stand in his presence, you'll ultimately be saved. I'll try again. You're holy. You're a saint. I didn't say you're perfect. I said you're a saint. In the eyes of God, positionally, he didn't halfway birth you. When you have a child, that child has your last name from the get-go day one. When Hannah was first born, she's not, she's not one-tenth of a person. And ultimately, one day, she'll be a Hanson. No, she's a, she was a Hanson. And she became a Hanson in our traditions and things that we did. And then ultimately, one day, she became a Schaefer, but I have no, I have no control over that. <laughs> but you understand what I'm saying? You understand what I'm saying? That you're holy, you're working out your salvation, you're becoming, well, let's say it like this. When you have a little kid, you tie their shoes, but you teach them to tie their shoes. So when they're 10 and they say, hey, mom, tie my shoe, you go, pardon me? Who broke your fingers? So in other words, grow up. There are, there are things that God used to do for you where you were an infant in faith that he doesn't do for you anymore, and you think God has left you. He hasn't left you, he just told you to grow up. Just grow up. There are other things that you need to learn to do. There are other things that you have to go for. I mean, that's why one of the reasons I, I love having children pray for me and new believers pray for me because some God just said, there's a direct line often. There's something going on, right? So, so I'm, I'm saved, but I'm, I'm not more saved today than I was on that day, but I am working out my salvation until that one day I stand in his presence that I'm saved. I am holy. You are a saint, so what is this process that you're going through when you, well, he's more holy now. I'm not more holy. You know what I am? I'm more mature. I've, I've learned some things. How? Because I've stuck with it. I have matured. I have grown up in my faith. It seems as though I'm more holy because I may or may not do or not do this, that, or the other thing, but I am no more holy today than the day I got saved. What I am is I'm more mature in the faith. And then ultimately, one, one day when I get in his presence, I will be able to say I am holy and join the great cloud of witnesses, the saints. Does that make sense? Yes. That's an important theological point, maybe too much time, but we need to move on. So when the Catholics say they got to pray to the saints, uh, I don't, I, they don't need to pray to me. Uh, <laughs> um, well, let's, let's just be true. Let's be honest. Let's be honest here. Um, <clears throat> There are some people that really love God that are Catholic, but you got to understand what they're being taught because they don't bring their Bibles and they just take everything for granted and so on and so forth is a lot of tradition. And Jesus said, you can actually make the gospel without power of no effect because of your traditions, right? So, so pray to Mary. Nowhere are we praying to Mary um, or pray to this, you know, have a St. Patrick or St. Joseph, or whatever. No, 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 no. St. Eric, I'm good. St. Joseph, that's fine. I got no issue with St. Joseph or St. Paul. That's good. We're all saints. But I'm not praying because Jesus said, when you pray, pray our Father. He didn't say, when you pray, pray Hail Mary. 
And I don't have a bone to pick. I do not have a dog in the fight. I'm just telling you what the truth is. And if you got an issue, take it up with who said, when you pray, pray our father. That's all I got to say. So send your cards and letters to Ryan Schaefer, care of Destiny Church. You pray to the father. Does that mean I never pray to Jesus or I never pray to the Holy Spirit? No, I will, I will hey, Holy Spirit, hey, Jesus. But 90% of my prayer is to the Father. You pray to the Father, and how is that prayer uh, spelled out for us? In the name of Jesus. So you pray to the Father in the name of Jesus with the power of the Holy Spirit. That's how we pray. When you pray, you pray like that. So moving on. Verse seven, uh, second half. He says this, grace and peace. Oh my, my, my. He says this over and over in scripture. He says, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace is the predicate for peace. You can't have true peace without his grace. Not just his saving grace, but his prevenient grace, pre-grace, prevenient grace, the grace that goes before you even before you know him. You heathen, you backslider, you uncircumcised Philistine, you God-hater, there is still grace for you. It's called prevenient grace, the grace that's out in front of you though you don't deserve it. It's what woke you up and gave you breath to breathe this morning. That grace woke you up, not his saving grace. His saving grace is there for you. It's a receptacle filled. It's a repository filled with the blood of Jesus and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilt and shame. So grace is the predicate for peace. It always precedes peace. Well, you know, I'm just not at peace. I'm just not at peace. I'm just not at peace. Peace is not the, an- peace is not the absence of strife. Peace is not the absence of trouble. Peace, listen, is the internal persuasion of my eternal destination. That once I have inside of me an internal persuasion of my eternal destination, I'm at peace, man. (laughs) Uh, I'm already dead. You can't scare me. I mean, no fear is our motto. If Christ be in you. Because I have peace. I have made peace with my maker. How did you get that? By grace, not of my own, unless I could boast. John 16, 33 says, I have told you these things so that in me you can have shalom, peace. Because in this world you're going to have, but take heart. In other words, have peace. Why? Because I have overcome the world. This is why Paul was at peace, chained to the prison floor, having his back laid open with a whip, singing psalms and hymns at midnight. Not that it wasn't a big deal. It was a big deal. But he had an internal persuasion of his eternal destination. And so I will fear not what man can do to me. You got to wake up, church. You got to get this down in your bones. Or you'll fold like a cheap suit. Peace with God. Peace with your conscience. 
peace in your daily living, peace in your heart, peace with others, peace in your mind. It's what the world tries to sell you. Buy a car that's got 37 airbags and have peace of mind. <laughs> Pre-plan pre your funeral and have peace of mind. Get a security, comf- a security uh, system for your home and have peace of mind. Get that extra fat, fat bank account in retirement so you can have peace of mind. That's why they try to sell us. And if they can't sell us with peace, they sell us with the antithesis, which is fear. Because fear sells, man. They can get you afraid. They can get you to buy anything. Grace. Verse 8. We're moving along. We're rocketing along. Verse 8. Okay, first of all, he says, first and foremost, seven verses of Jesus is Lord and his grace and all of that. Verse number eight, first, I thank my God through Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah, Jesus the Christ, for all of you, because of your faith. What, what about it? It's being reported all over the world. I thank God through Jesus. Listen, we pray in the name of Jesus, we praise in the name of Jesus, and we thank, according to verse eight, we give thanks in the name of Jesus. And he's giving thanks because their faith has been reported all over the world. What kind of radical people are these people in Rome? Well, Nero is crazy. And they may be just, you know, laying low. Or they're next. But Paul wants to get there, guns are blazing. <laughs> he ain't scared. But these guys were radical. They were radical in their faith. Now, when you think about a radical Christian or anybody that's radical, you may think, oh, they're loud, they're overbearing, they're super intense, radical people. Oh, they're radical. Harsh, maybe. But when you apply that to a Christian, when we think of a Christian fanatic being radical, It's not because they're too Christian oftentimes, it's because they're not Christian enough. Because these people being radical, their faith being reported all over the world, that means being a radical forgiver. If you're a radical Christian, it's not because you shout. It's because you forgive. If you're a radical Christian, it's not because you can talk in tongues and, and dance the Holy Ghost, Pentecost. No, it's because you're a giver. You're a radical giver. If you're a radical Christian, it's not because you wear a pinky ring and white, white patent leather shoes and end every sentence with, huh? <laughs> no, no. If you're a radical, radical Christian, you're humble. There's humility if you're radical. And that's why, that's why people want to hang out with Jesus. He was a radical lover. He was a radical forgiver. He was a radical mercy guy. He was a ra- I mean, that's why people want to hang out with Jesus. I want to be a radical Christian, merciful. Verse 9. God, whom I serve with my whole heart, in preaching the good news, the gospel, the evangel of Jesus, his son, is my witness how constantly I remember you, verse 10, in my prayers 
at all times. And I pray that now, at last, by God's will, the way may be open for me to come to you. Now, Paul knew there was going to be trouble for him when he got to Rome, but he wanted to see the church. And by that, he's not talking about some stained glass. He's talking about the ecclesia, the ecclesia, the body of Christ. That's what we are today, whether we're convened in a shopping mall next behind Chuck E. Cheese. Oh, that's where your church is? Hey, listen, I, we can go meet under a tree, right? You don't have to have stained glass to have church. Because I want to come to see you. But it's dangerous there, Paul. Are you sure that God's calling you to a dangerous place? God wouldn't do that. That'd be like us wanting to go to the church in Pakistan or northern Iraq or minister to the Taliban or killing Christians. I have a few photos to show you. threatening to kill their son if you don't deny Jesus Christ. This is in Iraq. That's your son. That's your daughter. Not 200 years ago. Not 2,000 years ago. Next. Teaching 12-year-old boys to decapitate people. Christians. You can get uncomfortable if you want. You see on the news or you change the channel. Killing Christians, cutting off Christians. This is where Paul was headed, to an environment like this. Just modernized a little bit. Next. I don't know, this was not in the news not too long ago. ISIS taking Christians in Egypt. Their sect is called Coptic Christians, nonetheless, Christians. Marching them to the beach. I have other photos. I can't show them to you. I have another one. 21 Coptic Christians, every one of them, head cut off. Photos online, look it up, of them standing there holding the Christians' heads after they've cut their heads off. The, the beach covered in blood. Yeah. That's where Paul was headed. He said, I got to get there. I got to go check that out. I got to go. I got to preach the good news there. Nero thinks he's God. Ha! In 2020, just last year, I don't know if you're familiar with the ministry called Open Doors by Brother Andrew. Brother Andrew is a, a great missionary of our generation. He was born in 1925 in the Netherlands, right? So he was, al- he was alive He was alive during World War II, right? So now you're talking about the Iron Curtain. And those of you that are younger, there is hi- all of us. We have a tendency to only see history from our life's perspective. But come up a little bit higher. Go back to World War II. Here's a guy who was born in 1925. His name is Andrew. Brother Andrew, he's called. Because he loved to smuggle Bibles into the Soviet Union. It's called Russia today because it all got disbanded when the curtain came, the Iron Curtain came down and Germany was reunited. No more East Germany and West Germany. It's a long story back in the 80s. But the Cold War, the reason I dove under my desk in the 60s was because of inter- intercontinental ballistic missiles missiles that, that were could fly from, oh, how about Cuba? 
because they were all being stockpiled in Cuba, 60 miles from Miami, to blow us up. So we had practice in grade school of diving under our desk like that was going to save us from a nuclear bomb. Nonetheless, this is, this is Brother Andrew's heyday. It's, you can't go into the Soviet Union. You're just not allowed to go there. I mean, you couldn't put, I mean, they, they didn't want anything from the West into the Soviet Union because it was, they, would, they felt, I mean, you, like blue jeans or rock and roll music, all, this is before the internet, B-I, not B-C, <laughs> but B-I before the internet where you could control stuff like this and you get no rock and roll in there, no blue jeans in there. And so Brother Andrew says, I'm loading my Volkswagen Beetle up with Bibles and we're hauling them in. That ministry says there's a 60% increase in, in uh, uh, Christian martyrdom in last year alone, worldwide. And a big portion of it is in Nigeria right now. We're entire families. You're a Christian, boom. I got a family right here. Boom, just killed. Why? They're Christian. They're Christian. Why were they killed? They're Christian. That's it. They said Jesus is Lord. So Brother Andrew, I got to tell you a quick story. We don't have time for all this today, but Brother Andrew, he, he had his Volkswagen Rabbit, uh, Volkswagen Rabbit is a Beetle, all, all loaded up with Bibles. And he's at a checkpoint now, and now he's realized because he's boxed in, there's four cars in front of him, there's cars behind him. He's all boxed in, and they have decided the Soviets are going to take everybody out of the car, first thing, get everybody out of the car, and they disassemble the car, and the, and the first, an hour per car, pulling everything out of the car, everything out of the car. He goes, man, I'm, I'm sunk, I'm dead. I'm dead. I can't back up. I can't get out. I'm in line. They're calling one at a time. And just before they called him forward, he said, you know, Lord, he goes, this, this is in his testimony. If you ever read anything about it, just look at Brother Andrew, um, Open Doors Ministry, <clears throat> Missions. He said, Lord, I've always prayed, open blind eyes. But today, Lord, I want you to blind seeing eyes. <laughs> that was his prayer. He's alive today. I mean, he's like 97 years old. He's born 1925. He's alive today. He's an interesting fellow, Brother Andrew. And to test the Lord, he took the Bibles out of his back seat and he set them. He set Bibles on the passenger seat of that little Volkswagen. And he pulled up to the stop. Grabbed his handle to get out because that was protocol. They were going to strip the car down. And the Soviet soldier put his knee against the door of his car and would let him out. Leaned in his car and said, you're good. Didn't have to get out of his car, never had his car inspected. You ought to read something. I mean, you don't think God's going to be with you wherever you go? You don't think, I'm so proud of this church sending this missions team off to go out. Well, you know, no one's going to, yeah. oh, you got to get your nose swabbed. Ooh, boo-hoo, boo-hoo. I'm so proud of this church. Sending a team and people stepping up saying we're going to go. That's powerful. <laughs> what verse am I on? 11? Thank you. Paul says, I long to see you so that I may impart to you some, ooh, this is important, a spiritual gift. And why do spiritual gifts are given so you can tout your own prowess? No, to make you strong. Spiritual gifts are always for other people. Do you know that? Yeah. The gift of healing, the gift of miracles, they're all not for you. 
Every gift you get from him is to be given away. So I'm going to give you this stuff so you can give it away. Because I'm going to impart to you some spiritual gifts. The same author, Paul, who is in Corinth. Oh, what do we know about Corinth? That's where all the spiritual gifts are listed. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 14. That's where all the spiritual gifts are listed. He's in Corinth with the Corinthians, riding to Rome, 800 miles away. Hey, hey, Corinthians, when I get there, we're going to give them all the Holy Ghost gifts too. Spiritual gifts make you strong. So the nine gifts of the spirit, word of wisdom, word of knowledge, discerning of spirits, prophecy, speaking in tongues, interpretation of tongues, gift of faith, gift of healings, the working of miracles, they all are alive and well today. None of them stopped. None of them stopped. They're still miracles today. If you talk to people, theologically speaking, who are, listen, cessationists, in other words, the gifts ceased, they're called cessationists. We are not cessationists. We believe that those gifts are alive and well today. We believe in miracles and healing today. If we didn't, why would you call me to come to the hospital? But there are denominations who don't believe in miracles, who don't believe in healing, but still call their pastor to come to the hospital. You know why? Give me the comfort to get through this. No, you come to the hospital. If I'm dying, heads up. If I'm dying and you come to the hospital to pray for me and you start praying, oh God, just give him, just get him through, God. Now I want you to pray for my healing. If you don't, I'll punch you. I'll just, <laughs> right from my bed, I'll just, boom, pop you right in the eyeballs like that. No, I want you to pray for my healing. I'd like you to pray for my healing because he still heals today, amen? amen. All right, we gotta go on. So verse 12, that is that you and I, why, is he, why are these spiritual gifts important? So that we may be, say, mutually. Mutually encouraged by each other's faith. Meaning that when you use your gift and I use my gift, if you're faithful to do what God's told you to do and I'm faithful to do what God's told me to do, it's gonna be awesome. But in a body where members don't wanna do what they're supposed to do, that's problematic. How do I know that? Have you ever met someone with Tourette's? Part of the body doesn't want to cooperate. You ever met a person who only has one lung or one kidney or one gizzard? I'm kidding, gizzards. I just, I got you. Right? If I could, listen, if you took and cut off my arm, I could still function, but I wouldn't be as functioning. I wouldn't be as productive if, unless I had all my pieces working. So when we come together as the church, it is imperative that you minister in the gift that you have in the body. If not, something's missing, and it's you, and it's your gift. He says, mutually encourage each other. You'll be built up, I'll be built up. In Romans 12, 4 and following, just as each of us is the body of many members, these members do not have the same function. So in Christ, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to the other. We have different gifts according to the grace given us, so on and so forth. That's how the church should function, amen? Verse 13, I do not want you to be ignorant, King James, NIV, 
unaware. I don't want you not to know. In other words, I want you to know. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have planned many times to come to you, but I have been prevented from doing so until now in order that I might have a harvest among you just as I've had among other Gentiles. I've been prevented. Well, you know, it's just, I was gonna go do this and I got a flat tire on my way there and um, that was the Lord telling me I just shouldn't do it. Hogwash. If the Lord told you to go, go. Come hell or high water, you do what he told you to do. I'll try again. In a world where we just, oh, it's just too hard. <laughs> yeah, the internet's really slow. It's really slow. Yeah, it's really slow. First world problems. Paul says, I tried to get to you a number of times. And remember where he's going, where they're cutting the heads off of people. I want to get there. I've been prevented, but I have not given up. I will get there, even if I have to appeal to Caesar. Philippians 3. Not that I've already obtained all this, or I've, I've been made perfect, but this is what I do. I press on. I take hold of what Christ has done for me, brothers. I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. One thing I do, I forget what's behind, I strain towards what's ahead and I press toward the goal. Christians today in general are underachievers. I, you know, if the shoe fits, you may have to wear it. And if your toes are stepped on, it's because they're sticking out. You're going 30 miles an hour. All the while you have a jet engine inside of you. Well, you're going to burn out. Pastor, you're going to burn out. Well, you're supposed to pray me back to life if I die right now. So, and if I die, I'm just with him. For every Christian that even steps on the cusp of burning out for Christ, there are myriads who rust out or weasel out. It's just too hard. What do you mean? Sunday night church. What do you mean Bible study? What do you mean? What do you mean? It's just too hard. My life's just so full. Because <laughs> I got to get there. I got to have some harvest. I got to have some fruit amongst you, amongst the Gentiles, you uncircumcised, grafted in ones. He says, verse 14, I am obligated. I'm a debtor. I owe. I have a debt both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, King James, to the, Greek, to the Greeks. Because anybody that wasn't a Greek, because Paul was a Greek, right? <laughs> uh, Paul, was a, Paul, was a, Paul was a Hebrew ministering to Greeks. Anybody that wasn't a Greek was considered a barbarian. So uh, both to the wise and to the foolish, verse 15, that is why I'm so eager to preach the gospel to you. I'm obligated to you. And here's how we'll end the day. Verse number 16. 16 and 17. We'll put them together. The theme of the series, the theme of this book, I am not ashamed or unashamed. 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 We all know what that feels like in that moment when you're put on the spot 
like Peter on the night in which Jesus was betrayed, standing around the fire, warming himself at the fire of the betrayer, saying, I don't know him. It's more convenient for me not to be a Christian or not to have a Christian witness right now. It's just more convenient for me not to stand up for you. Because you know, the nail that sticks up gets hit. Well, do you have an internal persuasion of your, in, of your, extra, of your eternal destination or don't you? Well, you know, I, listen, there are, there are days coming There are days coming you need to be persuaded and unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I am unashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it is the dunamis of God. It's the power of heaven for the salvation of everyone who believes it. First to the Jews, they were given an opportunity. Then to us Gentiles grafted in to the same vine. Verse 17, for in the gospel of righteous, in the gospel of, a righteousness from God is revealed. Remember, you can't have a righteousness apart from him. For in the gospel, there is a righteousness from God that is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Stand with me, please. I'm gonna have the Staff, come down front if you're a connect group leader and you want some prayer. But I want to encourage you right now with this final word. I'm unashamed. You got to say to yourself, even here's, here's where you have to come to. Here's where you have to have peace. Even if no one goes with me, I will go by myself. I'm not talking to come to church. I'm talking living your life for Jesus. Even if no one else does it, though none go with me, still I will follow. These are, these are treacherous days. These are treacherous, treacherous days. The power of the gospel reveals two things. The righteousness of God and the power of God. The power is for salvation. Power is for the gifts. The righteousness is to get rid of that besetting sin. That sin that just continues to hang around the edges for you. Don't entertain it any longer. Just don't entertain it any longer. What do they say to be forewarned is to be forearmed? Jesus said, in this world, trouble is headed your way. Paul said, I know there's trouble there for me, but I'm going anyway. That's how you got to get. That's how you got to get. <laughs> That's how you got to get. You got to get a backbone, not a wishbone. So whether you need the power of the gospel at work in your life, and by that I mean repenting, turning from your sin, that's on the agenda today, now's the time. Or the power for the gifts and then righteousness. Every good gift comes from him. 
that when you come to Jesus, he only gives good gifts. Well, sometimes it feels like he's slapping me down. Well, sometimes you need to get a little wake-up call. I mean, I don't appreciate it, but the Bible says he chasteneth them whom he loves. If the kid in the aisle at Walmart's acting up, that's on mom, their mom and dad. It's not my place to rep- reprimand or rebuke that child. But the very fact that I say, hey, don't do that, means that person belongs to me. That little, that little munchkin is mine, and I'm responsible for that. So God says, hey, 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 come on now. Let's get this straight. That's how he does for us. And that's a good, 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 good thing. So I'm going to pray, and if you need prayer in any of those areas, you come on down front. We like men to be with men and women to be with women, or if you want to come down as a couple and just reaffirm your faith, that's fine. You're looking for the gifts of the Spirit? That's awesome. You just need a hug? That's fine. We're not here to counsel you. We're here to direct you to Jesus, right? Because he's the wonderful counsel. Why would you want me to counsel you if there is one who is called the wonderful counsel? So let's pray, and if you need to come forward, you can do that. Father, right now, as people come forward, just to find joy, to find peace, to find power, to find righteousness, Lord, let this be the day, the day of repentance, the day that peace of mind, day of an internal persuasion of an eternal destination, let this be the day, Lord. Thank you for your word. May the book of Romans live in our hearts that we might be known as the children of God. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. As we conclude this podcast, we want to take a moment to say thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this message, please consider subscribing to receive our weekly podcast on your device. Check out the show notes for links to our website, more information about this message, or to support our ministry. You've been listening to the Destiny Church 217 Podcast, your place for real, relevant relationships.